How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend, Frank Madden. And presenting this episode are our good friends at SeatGeek. And again, new promo code, L-O-N-B-A. Again, that's L-O-N-B-A is our promo code now at SeatGeek. And you can use that to get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Frank, we asked for some help from the people and they delivered. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know if we necessarily needed it. I just don't know that I wanted to necessarily totally break down another summer league game. game. Like, summer. Uh, yeah. I, I just that just felt like a a fruitless exercise to me. So I was kind of curious what other people were thinking. So uh, I guess in that third game, we'll just kind of zoom over it a little bit and then get into questions right away but the bucks lose 193 um as we mentioned on our last podcast thonmaker in milwaukee now working out with Giannis, so he was not in the building uh and i i guess it's pretty much many of the same people you saw in that last game uh just going kind of down the line dj wilson 17 points uh, seven rebounds, four assists, two blocks. Uh, he starts off the game, I think, 10 points in the first six minutes. Three of six from the three-point line uh, as well. Excuse me, eight rebounds for DJ Wilson in that game. Uh, Rashad Vaughn, 21 points, seven of 12 from the field, two of four from three. Uh, three rebounds for him, an assist, two steals. Sterling Brown, 14 points. He was quiet for a good majority of that game and then uh, ended up fourth hitting. Quarter. And then, yeah, the, in that fourth quarter, he kind of helped bring the Bucks back into it after they, I think, went 0 for 10, 11, 12 to start the fourth quarter. Um, it, it was pretty ugly there for a little while. And then Sterling Brown helped them come back with two threes and another land when they got a steal. Uh, he had a steal, three blocks, four rebounds, and 14 points on the night. And then, I guess guess i'm trying to think anybody else you'd want to cover bronson koenig nine points three of five from the three-point line um didn't really do anything else yeah literally nothing else in the box score uh for koenig in those 21 minutes and i guess just generally i would say again uh, another game where you watched gj wilson and you probably thought to yourself okay 
I think this guy could end up being a rotation player. Uh, and again, it is just summer league, but there hasn't been any, I don't, I don't really think there have been those games or those moments where you've really thought this guy is in way over his head and that this guy can't hack it. He's looked generally pretty comfortable. Uh, I think the one addition for assists in this game, there was one really nice one where he caught on the left block, faced up. It, it was semi-transition, and then he, he kind of just makes a move into the middle and then finds Bronson Koenig for a corner three on the right side. I thought that was a pretty nice play and maybe flash something that we hadn't seen in other games. So good one for him. And Rashad Vaughn, <laughs> another game where he gets to the basket and he's hitting threes and he's looking more confident than than I've ever seen him look before. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of, I mean, you know, it just sort of goes to show, I mean, we're, we can, like, think back to the exact games in which he's looked competent over his peers in the NBA. Uh, the Nets game was obviously, you know, that last late October mm-hmm. um, where he went for 20-plus, whatever it was. 22, um, I think. Yeah, hit, I think, what, did he hit, like, six threes in that game? Yeah. I don't know, he hit a bunch of threes. Um, and then he had that weird, remember that one weird fourth quarter? I think it was against Minnesota. He had a couple games late in the season middle of the season where he played fourth quarter minutes in extended fashion and like he like randomly cut to the basket and scored like eight <laughs> points yeah. uh, in the fourth quarter um so i don't know he's had kind of these random you know spells he, he had ironically that very encouraging preseason start um as a rookie and then you know everybody was like oh maybe he'll maybe he'll be a rotation guy he's gonna push oj for minutes you know potentially take his his job uh right away and yeah that that was a long time ago yeah so, that didn't um, happen so I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of we can get into these questions um, and kind of go over it that way. I think the only other thing I thought was interesting. I mean, Steven Zimmerman was a guy that I think he's like two years removed from being a McDonald's All-American. Correct. Like one year at UNLV. Um, he's actually from Las Vegas, um, stayed home, went to that dumpster fire of a uh, basketball program at UNLV, which, you know, I guess Patrick McCaw is like saving their their rep right now but um (laughs) a lot of kind of i don't know i've i've heard kind of not great things about you know sort of just the structure there and um other than mccaw i mean vaughn obviously hasn't translated yet zimmerman um great pedigree guy and just you know second round i think second round pick last year with magic gets waived this um like a day before the bucks started summer league gets picked up i think he's um i think his agent is also dj wilson's agent i want to say so he's there's some like agent connection, so it, it kind of makes a little more sense. But um, but he actually like kind of went from looking like completely incapable of grabbing a rebound to like looking like totally useful and like talented in the game yeah. yesterday. So that was kind of funny. Um, again, there's no real, I mean, there's no like room for him on the roster or anything like that. But um, but he's kind of an interesting prospect, and maybe we'll, we'll have some questions about the the two way contract. I, I don't know. I, I think he might be a guy I would have I, I, I might bring up at that point, but. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it was uh, I'd say another encouraging game on a couple of fronts, and especially with these young guys like like DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown, who we haven't seen play in any type of NBA setting, so we're kind of blank slates. We know what they're supposed to be like from their scouting reports, but you know, unlike Thon and Rashad, who we have seen at the NBA level for one or two years now, um, you know, I, it takes a lot for me to change my opinion of guys I've seen in the NBA based on summer league, like. It's pretty tough to do that, yeah. Because um, it just it isn't the same. But certainly for these guys, we just haven't seen play in a real NBA setting. You know, it is probably more informative. And again, 
not worth kind of jumping to conclusions, but more interesting. But anyway, should we jump into questions? Let's do it. Um, this first one, I think we're going to ease our way into it. This comes from our good friend Dan Schaefer. He has a question for you, Frank. He asks, what is your best Vegas Summer League story? I told him on Twitter that it's probably going to involve Rebel Dogs, but we will see. <laughs> Frank, what do you got? Well, uh, for those who, who are not aware, uh, the Rebel Dogs are the hot dogs that are served at uh, Thomas and Macarena. And it, just in case people, you know, I don't follow it closely, haven't been out there. The basic idea is the Thomas and Mac Center is essentially a, a big, you know, kind of multi-facility complex. I mean, and by multi, I mean two. So there's basically the Cox Pavilion, which is looks like the high school gym you see on TV. And then there's the proper Thomas and Mac, which is like, you know, where UNLV plays. It's like a real, you know, basketball gym. And they've had Team USA events. There. I don't know if they've had, they maybe have had a, um, I don't know if they've had like an NBA preseason game at some point. But anyway, so basically. Is that, is that the place Paul George broke his leg? It, that's a good question. It might be. I don't know. I must think it but, is. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but basically they're, they're connected by sort of like a little, um, you know, concessions area atrium thing. So, it's, it's easy to kind of just bounce between the two. And um, yes, at the concession stands, you can get a hot dog called a rebel dog, which um, I feel like it's, it's just like a thing you do when you're there for, for like a long weekend. Um, I mean, some people I know who go there as media, I mean, they'll be there for like, a, like a week or like nine or 10 days, which is like insane to me. Cause like it, it starts to get like groundhog day there. Like just going, <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining, right. Cause it's, you know, you're just wake up, you go, go to the place like at noon you can go to the like media area and you know get free food and just sort of hang out and talk to people and then you can go up to the to the gyms and just wander between the gyms and watch you know watch games or whatever and it's but it's just very strange because it's vegas but you're watching basketball from like you know one o'clock to you know whatever it is nine o'clock at night or however i forget however long it goes and it's just you know game after game after game of like mostly bad basketball and so i feel like once in your time there, you need to eat at least one rebel dog, um, which has just become a running joke with my, my friends, uh, Mike Levin from writes to Ricky Sanchez podcast, Liberty ballers, my resident Sixer fan friend and Andrew Sharp, um, who, who, you know, goes between being a friend of Bucks nation and an en- enemy of Bucks nation, uh, in its capacity <laughs> at, uh, sports <laughs> illustrated, but, uh, love Andrew. I'm, I'm missing those guys. I thought I might go out this year again. This is the first one I'm missing since 08, but, um, but I guess if I was just going to throw out a couple of of ideas of, of like random, interesting, I don't know if he's been interesting, um, but just kind of random things that came to mind right away, just like memorable things that, that I've seen or done in Vegas. And also it's weird because I don't gamble. So I'm like a, a bad person to go to Vegas to begin with. Uh, and then, but, but fortunately, so when I go there, it's like, you know, I'm just hanging out with like other basketball nerds and you know, I'll just watch other people gamble, whatever. But um, just in terms of stuff seen sort of in the context of Summer League, um, I think I already told the story about when uh, Jeff Weldman swore me to secrecy about Randy Foy getting like the <laughs> biannual exception <laughs> from the Bucks offer. You did. <laughs> which, uh, which of course, then Randy Foy turned down. Um, but I, I, I kept that that secret until uh, whatever it was, like a month ago. Um because I'm I'm really that uh, that that much of a lockbox. Uh, keep my word. <laughs> um, it, for and for those who don't know, Jeff Wellman was the Bucks assistant GM under Jeff Ham uh, Jeff uh, Jeff under John Hammond until I guess 2013. I want to say when he went to Toronto, and now he's of course uh, 
president of basketball ops in Orlando, and John Hammond now worked for him. So backstory of that. Um, other random things, Nate Robinson in my first summer league got his jersey retired at summer league because he'd like literally was like a summer league all-star every year um which is a weird (laughs) honor to get to make and then 20 this was on like the last sunday i think and then 20 minutes after the game ended a guy got literally they just took a summer league jersey and and just pinned it to like the (laughs) wall in the the small gym like which is basically like you know it's like a concrete wall yeah whatever and uh and then 20 minutes after the game ended a guy took a ladder and took it right back down (laughs) it was really really disappointing um Andrew Sharp had probably the most interesting um, clothing. Where I mean, you don't want to dress like in obviously like you know, you don't get dressed up because it's just so hot in Vegas and, and everything, and you got to get to the arena and stuff. Um, but I remember the first time Andrew was there that I hung out with him. He he wore one day a pink Taylor Swift uh, tour T-shirt, and um, <laughs> that was just a really cool <laughs> choice as he was then trying to go like interview people or whatever. Um, also, at my first my first summer league, I remember uh, Steve Perrin, who used to run uh, Clips Nation, uh, the Clipper Steve, the uh, Clippers site on SB Nation. Um, we were walking out after a Bucks game, and he made he made he said some comment like pretty loudly. He was like, "Boy, Scott Skiles and Brandon Jennings, that's going to be interesting." And Brandon Jennings' mom, we were like walking right by Brandon Jennings' mom, and Brandon Jennings' mom like looked at steve and was just like <laughs> oh yeah it's gonna be interesting huh and like got really annoyed at him and you know whatever <laughs> like i don't think he even knew what what had just happened but we just kind of kept walking um so anyway that's like some of the random random crap i do i also remember matt moore i think this might have been the first time matt moore we we actually went to like the cheesecake factory in the in i think caesar's palace there's one and matt was like doing something i think henry abbott once wrote a piece about why um, asking about why NBA players love the Cheesecake Factory because it's like a weird mm-hmm. thing and there's like different theories on this. Um, and I don't know what, maybe Matt was like doing his own thing on or something like that, but basically he wanted to go there and he was going to like look to see if NBA players were there and ask the like people there if they had any theories on this. And we actually talked to a woman who had moved from LA to Vegas specifically because she worked at a cheesecake factory in LA and they like transferred her. But like, she was a waitress and I was just like, wait, like a a chain restaurant will transfer a waitress like across like state lines and stuff. Just seemed very bizarre for that kind of job to be, you know, moving you to Las Vegas. And she said that Kobe Bryant would come in. That was like the most famous person that she had served. So he, Matt at least got some stories. Anyway, we've talked way too much about stupid stories that nobody cares about. Um, let's let's go to actual Bucks related talk. What do what what do we have next on our list? All right, there's a, there's a plethora of Rashad Vaughn questions, which makes sense. Um, so I'm gonna try to hit a couple of them that I think kind of work together for now, and then I, I think there still might be some other ones there. Um, we'll start with one from Willie Armstrong. Does Vaughn get his fourth year uh, option? That's something I think you've, I think both of us, we've talked about it in the past. Uh, I've always said that I think he does, and you for a little while were thinking he doesn't. Chuck Metz also asks a similar, similar, similar question with Will Vaughn's summer league good performances translate into him becoming a productive member in the rotation. Uh, I think that's 
it for the questions for now. I'm going to save another one for later. What do you got on that, Frank? Well, to clarify, so my prediction was that Rashad Vaughn would not be on the roster next season, not that he would not have his option picked up, although obviously they're somewhat related questions because he is under contract for next year. The option that has to get picked up by the end of October is whether or not his fourth-year option for the 18-19 season gets picked up for $2.9 So. Um, I had just said that I figured he might just get shuttled off someplace else. Like, you know, again, he makes very little money, 1.9 million. Like you could probably just, you know, Hey, the Nets just saw him like torch their summer league team. They still have some cast space. If you wanted to use, you know, Rashad Bond and just like give him away, or I don't know if anybody would give you a second round pick for him, but basically just say like, Hey Nets here, take Rashad Bond. He just did well against you. Give us a pick, absorb him into cap space. And then we're back under the, you know, a luxury tax or something like that. That was like more of what I was kind of thinking when I made that prediction. But I think as far as the actual option pickup, um, I mean, the good news is they'll get to see him all of training camp before they have to make that decision. Last year was kind of unique because they waited until basically the very last day to, to pick up his option. And the interesting thing was they picked up Jabari Parker's like, you know, earlier in the month. And then they waited literally until the last moment to pick up Vaughn's and, you could only assume that was because they were kind of looking at potential, I don't know, like trades that might have involved him. And, you know, again, if you were to trade him right before the deadline and then, you know, a team acquiring him would probably want that option themselves. Like they would want to decide if they if the option gets picked up because, again, you know, if he was like just filler in some trade, then you might want to decline the option or whatever it might be. So, um, I mean, I would say this, like as long as Vaughn is providing any hope that he might be a... NBA rotation player, which, you know, again, I think seeing how he's played this week, I think, again, like it gives you a little bit of hope maybe that, you know, maybe he kind of might finally put some stuff together. Again, whether that's going to happen soon enough to matter for the Bucks, I don't know. But I think as long as you're not in like total cap hell, it makes sense to kind of continue picking up, you know, first round pick options, especially given that you're talking about less than three million. Um, it's, you know, it's still more than a minimum deal. But um, I, it would have to say a lot about your lack of belief in a guy to say, you know, we don't want to be on the hook for this guy next year, but we're still going to awkwardly have him on our team this year <laughs> after we tell him we, we think so little of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, I, I think he's the kind of, and I think, I think like the Boston Celtics, for instance, like didn't pick up the third year option on RJ Hunter and then just waived him. So they ate the rest of his deal for, I think his second year last fall. So, um, you know, again, I don't think they're going to waive Rashad Vaughn, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think you have to have really compelling evidence or a really bad cap situation to not want to pick a guy up. And I think it's something at this point, like, you know, again, Vaughn hopefully has shown enough that you could give him away and that someone wouldn't look at him having a $3 million option in 1819 picked up as like being negatively affecting his trade value. But at the same time, an expiring contract now is probably worth more than it has been in previous years. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I think, I think his option gets picked up in, some of that will have to do, I guess, with probably his performance, but also some of it would have to do with, like you said, that I don't know if the Bucks are really in a position to turn down cheap players, uh, cheap young players that may, even no matter how slightly, like no matter how slight of an option, uh, a possibility it is, like maybe competent NBA players, like maybe NBA rotation players. Like, I just don't think that they can turn those down uh, with the cap position they put themselves in. I'll go to the second question from Chuck about whether or not these good performances translate into him being a productive member in the rotation. 
I wouldn't say anything from from summer league. I ever feel very confident about translating into real NBA basketball, but I would also say it doesn't hurt. Like him looking more confident, um, more effective, really than he ever has before on back to back nights and back to back games. Like that. I mean, to me, that would suggest that maybe there's more of a possibility than I think either of us thought at the start of the summer. Um, I don't, I don't know how optimistic we were about Rashad Vaughn and I don't know how optimistic I am now. Um, but I do think those performances tell you that, okay, maybe there is something in there. Maybe there is a little bit more there that we just, we didn't know. And we, we did, we hadn't seen until this point. So, um, we'll see if that's there. Anything you want to add on that? Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Because Sterling Brown is now also in the equation. So, um, you know, again, Sterling Brown, a bit bigger than Vaughn. I don't know if, practically speaking, you know, you'd look at Brown as being any different. Like, could Brown play more minutes at the three, for instance? Like, could Brown take up more of, like, the Beasley minutes that we saw at the three last year versus Vaughn being more of a strict two? I, I don't know. I mean, I think, practically speaking, that they're more of direct competitors. Um, obviously, you know, John, Jason Terry is not yet, resigned may not be resigned i've made my case for why i'd like to see jet back um especially in the you know situation where they just stretch uh spencer hawes you still have i think enough big guys um and maybe you do make, make move to add a, a veteran guard it does seem like the bucks have been connected with more guards than uh and guards and wings than than any other type of position at this point between like Derek rose and jamal crawford and um ben mclemore and, and stuff like that i mean again i don't think it's like essential from their depth standpoint but um, but I do think it's interesting. And so I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be kind of an open competition, but I don't think there's really any, any guarantees as to sort of who's going to come out of, you know, that, that pack and actually get meaningful minutes. But certainly right now, I mean, Jason Terry played, I want to say like 18 minutes a game last year in the games he played something on that order. Um, so there's definitely, you know, and again, some of that is because Chris Middleton was out for so long mm-hmm. last year. But, you know, Jabari Parker's out and Jabari, you know, depending on your view, plays the three and the four. So Michael Beasley was on the roster as well. Like, yeah, exactly. Th- those so are those are kind of those same type of minutes as well. Right. So I think they're definitely minutes at the three, and, and maybe that's more the question. Um, you know, and again, Snell can shuttle between those two spots. Middleton plays probably more of the three. So um, it'll be interesting to watch. But I think I think that's definitely a sort of like as we think about like camp and things like that, the Brown versus Vaughn debate. Um, I think will be really interesting to watch. Like, can one of them just like more neatly fit into a role where it's like they play defense. They make open shots and they just do that, you know, like forget some of the stuff Vaughn's showing like off the dribble stuff like that probably doesn't even matter as much. Like just can you do the minimum job requirements of being the three and D guy? I think that'll be interesting to watch. It's interesting you mentioned defense because that was the next question I was going to go to from our friend Kurt Leidinger. How good of a defender do you think Vaughn is positive value, neutral or negative on that end? And I guess I, I would say I, I thought throughout last season he acquitted himself nicely on the defensive end. I, I thought there was a lot of times where I thought he was just fine on defense. And again, I don't know if there's a ton of positive value there, but I feel pretty confident that he's not a negative defensively. Um, so I think neutral to positive is is fine. And I feel that against NBA competition, not, not just something I've seen in summer league. I I thought that it it was something that appeared to be somewhat real last year. Uh, So I I would say at least neutral, if not a 
slight positive. Um, and I think that's kind of why it's always been so frustrating to me that Vaughn has shot so poorly from three because he already had one part of the D or at least passable defense that if he would start hitting threes at a reasonable, at a reasonable clip on catch and shoot opportunities, that would be a pretty, pretty damn close to a rotation player. So um, what, what are your thoughts on his defense? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say like neutral. Um, And again, I mean, the two is a spot where it's often hard to really like statistically quantify your contributions. Like you look at a guy like Clay Thompson, like, you know, I, I remember I remember seeing some talk about like like box score plus minus, which is good for a lot of things. But you know, Clay Thompson is like you know minus two or something like that. Box score plus minus, like you know, Tony Snell is a guy who I think is a competent defender. He's not like a Clay Thompson level defender, but you don't really see anything in the stats. Like he's just a positional defender. He doesn't really go for steals. Mm-hmm. He doesn't block shots. You know, he's a guard, so he doesn't rebound a ton. Um, those guys are kind of like probably the hardest to quantify their overall impact, other than maybe what you see from them in terms of like man defense and getting through screens and stuff like that like they're especially hard to you know I, I mean like does Rashad Vaughn add much as a help defender I don't really think so and that's probably why I'd be more yeah calling a neutral versus you know can he play good man defense like in space like it seems like he's gotten actually pretty good at that he's actually like mm-hmm. block shots randomly and do stuff like that um you know if you look at just so the on court off court they were slightly better defensively with him off the court last year but really where they got killed is they were just terrible offensively with him on the court. And I think that just speaks to the fact that, you know, he wasn't a knockdown shooter and he just doesn't do anything else, right? Like we just haven't seen him. Like he doesn't, yep. he's not like a great, he doesn't make plays. You know, he doesn't necessarily make great decisions. He can't attack off the dribble. So it's just like, he's just kind of out there and, you know, if he's not spacing, then he's not really doing much. So, um, so yeah, I'd probably say like neutral defender, you know, RPM wise, I think he was pretty much mid pack among, um, shooting guards and again I mean people smarter than me always say like well don't use RPM to like as like a ranking thing but whatever I see smart people using it too I mean he's minus 0.89 which really isn't really isn't bad for a guy who you know I don't think anybody thought of him as being like a great defender coming into the pros but again minus 3.44 offensive RPM so it's really on offense where he just kills you which of course is is not what I think people people so um so yeah i'd say neutral defender but even that is a positive thing especially at 20 years old you know if he can continue to get smarter i mean i don't think of him as like a super high basketball iq guy but um the fact that he's been okay so far i think shows that he you know has at least some talent there some strength um and some enough lateral quickness i think to to be okay and if he can continue to kind of get smarter and understand the systemic ways to play defense um add in a consistent jump shot well yeah then you'd actually have a nice play <laughs> uh let's continue with the individual questions and then we can get into more uh team questions in a little bit kurt had asked a second part of that question and asked how good is sterling brown and dj wilson on defense as well um and i think that's that's kind of a tough one because with Sterling, I find myself watching Rashad and DJ a lot more um, than, than I find myself watching Sterling Brown. Uh, so I, I don't know if I have a great read on that quite yet. Um, and with DJ, I think there's some potential there. Uh, I don't know if he has the best instincts quite yet 
Um, but I do think, I mean, he's shown some blocks. I think he has two blocks in every game. Uh, he has shown the ability to kind of switch on to guys. He's made some mistakes uh, with icing guys and being in the right spot and thing like th- and things like that. But I do think there's probably some potential there. How do you feel about either, either of those guys on defense, Frank? Yeah, I mean, I think Brown had um, the scouting report on Brown was that he's a versatile defender and projected pretty well there. I'll just go with that for now because honestly, I I just haven't watched him enough. I think he did have, did he have a? I think he's had like some like steals and blocks, racked up a surprising number of steals and blocks the last couple of games. Yeah, he had which, three blocks last game and a steal. Yeah, so that's definitely encouraging. Um, but again, you know, we'll we'll have to see kind of at the NBA level. But I think tools wise, um, you know, not a tremendous run and jump athlete, especially you know, ironic given his brother Shannon Brown was such a you know terrific athlete. Um, he's much more of um you know it's kind of a strength guy but um it seems to translate defensively from everything like you know you, you can see on on his you know uh the the videos of him on the internet about his defense and um from what we've seen so far so um that that's definitely a positive and a you know reason why a lot of smart people seem to like him a lot um as far as dj goes i, I don't know i mean i think the thing that you know stands out negatively is just like his lack of physicality and you know that that's we've talked about him not being a big rebounder didn't put up rebounding numbers in college um you know i'd say that's probably the big concern with him you know the upside is that even playing power forward you know the nba now is just we're not in a league anymore where big power forwards exist as much slash are going to get the ball to try to punish a guy like dj who's maybe not like as physical or as strong at this point um you hope that that will obviously improve over time as he gets to work with you know an nba strength program and and et cetera et cetera but you know i think just his his personality on the court like he's not a guy who's obviously like really looking to mix it up like he's more of a finesse guy so um i think his value is always in his versatility and ability to move his feet and just his fluidity and you know it, it does seem like he does have some some instincts for blocking shots not like a you know stand in the paint and just wait for guys to come at him and protect the rim like he's definitely not a rim protector he's much more of a you know use his length especially against smaller guys and kind of you know just get his hand on the ball i think he's had at least one or two blocks on closeouts as well so um that shows some pretty pretty good instincts and ability to use his length to maybe surprise people so i think he can be a totally fine defender you know especially in a team concept um i'm not really worried about that but he's probably one of those guys who could swing from you know let's say slightly you know negative value guy if he's if the physicality issues are are you know kind of dominate or maybe a guy who actually becomes like a very useful team defender because his switchability and and length and and versatility kind of dominate so probably can swing either way but i don't see him being like necessarily an elite defender but i'd also be surprised if he's like like that's always my hesitation with like when i've kind of half joked about him being kind of Charlie Villanueva ask is like, I don't think he'll ever be like as bad, a, straight up bad a defender as Charlie was. I think he's, you know, too engaged for that. But, um, but otherwise I think there are some similarities between the two. All right. Um, this one, I couldn't tell if it was sarcastic because I get so many like crazy things in my mentions that I struggle to figure out if people are being sarcastic or joking or serious. And, but in, anyways, well, I want to attack it anyways because I think it is kind of interesting to touch on something we touched on earlier. YB asks, if Rashad Vaughn and Sterling Brown continue playing like they did these past three games, does that make K-Mid expendable? No, it does not. Um, But I do think if those two actually continue to play well and that continues in the training camp and the preseason, all of a sudden the Bucs might actually have some wings 
that have two-way versatility that can play both sides of the ball, not be overwhelming negatives, might be able to hit some shots. Like If you look at Vaughn and Brown and Wilson and all those guys can get by in the NBA defensively and hit shots, literally just catch-and-shoot threes, I don't even necessarily care about anything else they would do. If they do those those two things, like all of a sudden the Bucks have a little depth on the wing, and that's that's not really something we could say last year, especially with the Middleton injury. It was pretty much okay, Tony Snell. You, what do we call him in the pre, a minutes eater essentially, as you would call like a, a pitcher in baseball an innings eater, like <laughs> Jeff Supan. Yeah, like you got sorry, like you have to go out and play these minutes, Tony Snell. And obviously he was great and got rewarded this off season, but. That wouldn't have been the case if they have guys that that could actually play. So, uh, though, uh, again, maybe it was a joke. Maybe it it was just something that should be shrugged off. Uh, Them having some wing options would be a pretty nice development. Yeah, I mean, if you have, you know, wings that that can make shots, play defense. And and also, I think, you know, we we should say this as well, and we saw it a little bit um, the past couple of games. But with DJ and, and Sterling, and, and Sterling proved this at at uh, at SMU that he can move the ball right. And again, not that he's going to go, you know, be a primary pick and roll ball handler. But um, you know, when we think about basketball and prospects, I think we often just think about them as like skills, sort of in isolation. But <clears throat> I think what often is what differentiates kind of you know guys who actually and 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 you know we always talking about like superstars and having these skill sets and those guys that add value, but. There are obviously other guys who don't necessarily have the, you know, eye-catching, eye-popping skills, um, but they do little things or they just do things well and they don't make mistakes and they're able to really have a much bigger positive impact than maybe, you know, the highlights would suggest. And I think with DJ and and Sterling, I mean, not that they're going to be guys like this right away, but the thing like with their passing, the fact that like you can watch DJ put it on the floor, dribble up the court. You know, if you trap the ball handler, you can pass it to your power forward and have him commonly dri- dri- confidently dribble up the court and then have him also be able to, you know, make a right read and make the right pass. Um, I-, I think there's so much value in having guys that can do that. And, you know, I always worry about guys who are like, you know, the black holes who just don't rack up any assists or don't seem to have any kind of common sense for passing or finding a teammate because, Again, those are the guys who often you look at Rashad as a good example, right? Like he, he can't make his teammates better, right? And and when he gets the ball, he's deciding between whether he shoots or whether he makes a pass, but it's probably gonna be a basic pass, and it's probably not gonna be a pass that like makes a big, you know, game changing type type play. Um and again, not that DJ or Sterling Brown are like these next level passers, but if you can hit shots and you can make the correct read and make good passes and set up teammates, and then you can actually you know, quickly make decisions as to whether or not you're going to do which of those things. That's sort of like the connective tissue of, I think, what makes, you know, offenses work really well in a lot of cases. Um, And so I think that's what's interesting about those guys to watch. And I think it's part of what makes them interesting prospects is the fact that they do seem to, you know, have an understanding of the game, especially relative to their size in DJ's case and skill level that um, hopefully they can be guys as as complementary players who maybe they're not, you know, ever going to be stars or anything like that. But um, they can go out and, and make shots, but also hopefully, you know, make an offense better and, and make their teammates better in, in maybe kind of more subtle ways. So anyway, that's my little long story like way of, of saying 
I, I like some of the little things we're seeing from them. And I was going to say too, I'm kind of ashamed of myself for it, but I, I watched that SMU team so often. And the cool thing about them was, like I said, they had like seven guys that were all like six, five to six, nine. And all of them did those basketball things. Like all of them handled the ball some, made some plays some, uh, were able to shoot some, were able to go rebound, were able. And it was just this kind of weird basketball, I don't want to say experiment, but this weird basketball experience where all those guys were kind of interchangeable, all able to do some of those things and all be, all be able to do that. And then when they drafted Sterling Brown, I just found myself really focused on like, okay, man, he can shoot it. Like, that's awesome. And he's going to be fine on defense. And okay, that's a three and D guy. And I forgot about all the other things that he did. So when he would take it off the dribble and get to the rack and have a nice up and under finish, it was like, oh yeah, that was, that was what I watched when I watched SMU basketball. Like that was, that was kind of the fun thing was that all those guys on that roster could do that. And I, I just, I guess in my mind, I was just thinking, okay, second round pick, let's find skills that'll play three and D. Okay. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it, that, that is kind of an exciting thing. And if you are going to try to preach this positionless basketball, um, and try to make that into your identity or Bucks DNA or whatever you want to call it, um, that that's important that those guys can do those little things. So, um, it, it is exciting. I think with those two, with the Bucks two draft picks this year, that that was that was something that we've seen from them. Um, all right, moving on to the next question, Frank. We got one from Griffin Gross, who this was based off the the tweet I sent out. I sent out a tweet and it had a GIF of Tom Hanks playing David S. Pumpkins, uh, and he was from a, pro- maybe the best SNL skit in I don't know the last five years. Um, it was fantastic. He asked. What does the S stand for in David S. Pumpkins? Frank, if you don't have a theory, I got one. Oh, I have no theory whatsoever. SeatGeek, right? Like <laughs> that would that would be the obvious thing, right? Like David SeatGeek Pumpkins. And uh, this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. And like we said, there's a new promo code, but nothing else with it has changed. Like it's still the same great product. It's still the product that when I'm searching for brewers tickets, I use when I'm searching for Summerfest tickets, I use when I'm searching for anything I I'm using, uh, because it makes it so easy for you. It shows you where all the great tickets are. It shows you exactly what your, what the game is going to look like from your seat. The app is amazing. And it just, it's just so great. And obviously we talk about it all the time, but I, I, Every time we talk about it, I always think about like what part of it I want to highlight because I th- there's a bunch of stuff uh, with the app and just with SeatGeek that is so great. And like we said, new promo code, but still the same way you put it in. You download the SeatGeek app, then you go to the settings tab, you go to enter a promo code, and now you're going to enter the promo code L-O-N-B-A. That's L-O-N-B-A for Locked On NBA. And it's going to get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So a big shout out to them for continuing to support us and the entire Locked On network. It's, it's been great that they've been along with us uh, for this entire trip. Getting back into questions, Frank, I think I'm going to try to hit on some more summer league ones before we, we got some more general roster questions um, and maybe a, a couple free agency ones as well. So let's go with <laughs> let's go with Justin asking, did Bronson Koenig show enough flashes of competence in game three to make you less skepti- skeptical of him in the G League? Well, he made some shots. Um... He 
looked maybe a little bit less overwhelmed by the speed of NBA-esque players. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I hope for his sake that he, you know, kind of figures things out and, and finds a stroke and um, and and that he, he does kind of acclimate to, to the D-League because I think certainly, like, he's had, you know, again, like we were talking about the other day, like, there's been an adjustment period and it's probably still ongoing and will probably be ongoing for a while. And, you know, if he can kind of get used to playing against better athletes and faster athletes who can close out quicker and all that, then, you know, hopefully that, that shooting touch and that composure and, and all that kind of can, can shine through a little bit. And, you know, again, I think clearly him being an in-state guy probably had something to do with the Bucks jumping on him as, as uh, a two-way guy, knowing that, you know, he would bring some interest to, to the Wisconsin herd. And, and I don't have, I don't, I really don't have a problem with that. I mean, like a two-way contract, like, you know, again, like you're not talking about an end of the bench guy. You're literally talking about a guy who, you know, couldn't get a pro contract, an NBA contract. And a lot of, you know, even guys who want to play in Europe might not want a two-way contract just because it's doesn't lock you into potentially anything more than 75 grand. So, um, so anyway, it's, it's kind of tough, but I, I don't know. I mean, you, you were more bullish on Bronson Koenig coming into this. What's your take? Do you have a, a more sympathetic reading? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to kill Bronson Koenig at this point, but, um, it's, it, he's definitely, let, let me say this. Like when I just watch Travis Trice, who I mean, isn't great either. Like I, I would have picked Travis Trice, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would say Travis Trice is the guy who looks more capable of being an NBA player. And part of that, I think is just cause he's an older player and he's been out of the league and has actually played pro basketball. But, um, you know, Bronson has a ways to go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think the big question for Bronson coming in was, was he quick enough and could he handle the quickness of the NBA? And I think in the first two games and really in the third game, you saw that, okay, maybe, maybe he isn't. Uh, it, it's something that he struggled with. And I, I guess, too, you mentioned Travis Trice, and, and I just see with Travis Trice, he just seems so much more comfortable with the ball in his hands for a long period of time. And again, maybe that's not the best thing when you're as talented as Travis Trice. Um, but he, he does feel more confident laying the shot clock, dribbling the ball for a long time, and d- eventually taking a step back jumper, things like that. And it's something that I think in, at Wisconsin, you saw a lot of the time end of the shot clock was Koenig uh, in pick and rolls and stuff like that. And that's just something that it doesn't seem like he's all that confident in yet at the next level. Maybe that's trying to get used to his teammates. Maybe that's trying to get used to the system, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's plenty of questions there. Um, but the same thing with me. Uh, it's funny, and actually, let me just ask this question first. It comes from Kyle Ekstrom. He asked, why did the Bucks sign the two-way players so early when they could get two more talented players later? And I, you brought up some of it, and I'm very curious to see what type of player the two-way contract attracts. Because, like you said, there's in a way that they allow you that chance to get to the NBA, they also limit the money that you can make limit your opportunity some as far as going elsewhere to play and maybe play like who knows is there any NBA playing time for you in a two-way contract there could be there also could not be like you could also just spend the entire season with with the G League team like that that could be exactly how your season goes so I think it's limiting and 
finding two more talented players, certainly possible. That certainly could be something that happens, but it could also just be that two-way contracts aren't all that exciting to, to, I don't want to say NBA players, but to guys that think they have a chance at the NBA or think that they can make a bunch of money overseas. And maybe that isn't the the path for Bronson Koenig quite yet, or I guess for that matter, Jalen Moore. Like Those are two guys that just graduated. They haven't done any other pro basketball quite yet. So maybe this is kind of their more comfortable way to stay stateside and especially for Bronson to stay in the state of Wisconsin like that. And I essentially, I think be the face of the Wisconsin herd. I think that's an exciting opportunity for him. And I don't know if that'd be as exciting to other players. So I'm just generally curious to see who signs two way contracts. I think a lot of people think this could be a big step going forward for the NBA, but I I don't know if I share that same optimism. Like I, I don't know if it's all that all that big of a step for for players to be able to sign, and uh, I guess all that I, I guess all that big of a deal for them to be able to stay in the states for that two way contract. Yeah, and one thing, and again, I'm not an expert on um, on the new two way contract. I've read a fair bit about it, and I I was um, messaging with Chris Riker from I think two days two ways in ten days. I think is is, is his new website. Um, he's covered the, the D league and G league, um, as well as anybody. And, um, cause one thing I, I think I know there, so I've seen references to fans saying like, we'll get, you know, get more second round picks and then, you know, you can just like throw, throw these guys on two way contracts. And so my understanding is, I mean, if you, if you have a second round pick, my understanding is you still have to offer him an NBA contract. Um, you can't just say here, take $75,000 and go play for our D league team. Like, you know, mm-hmm. cause basically if you do that, you know, you're, essentially calling dibs on a guy and limiting his earning power basically you know and, and people may You're remember circumventing like, the rules in a way like. yeah and people may remember like remember when tiny gallon was was a second round pick of the bucks and i think back then they didn't have enough roster spots and so mm-hmm. they they brought him into camp gave him a minimum non-guaranteed deal and then they had to waive him because they just didn't have any room for him um and i think that that still is the case from everything i understand is you know again if you have a, a real nba player a second round pick um, you know, you can't just say here, take, you know, 75 to 275,000, depending on how many NBA games you play. Um, and you're still ours and you can't go and sign with another NBA team. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a sweet spot there of finding players who are good enough that they're worth, you know, taking a chance on and giving some money to, and hopefully they, hoping they turn into NBA players, but also not every guy who doesn't get, dra- doesn't get drafted is actually even going to want to take it to, to a contract. So, um, so yeah, it, we'll see if the Bucks played this right or not. Um, I don't know enough about whether Jalen Moore and uh, Koenig can, are, are good enough players at this point. We'll see kind of how other teams handle it. But certainly the Bucks worked very quickly to get those signed. And um, as you said, those these are guys who are, you know, they're rookies in every sense of the word. So um, they also don't have that like year or two of seasoning. And, and oftentimes I think that's the difference, you know, when you see guys in summer league, Guys who've played three, four, five years of professional basketball someplace tend to be better than guys who played only in college. So hopefully, uh, hopefully those guys kind of catch up quick on the learning curve. And who knows? Maybe we see them at some point in Milwaukee if you know if injuries and other things kind of like fall fall uh, fall their way and maybe against the Bucks. But I was just thinking to last night's Lakers game. Like Alex Caruso puts on a show, and Alex Caruso is a guy that spent some spend time in the D League and. They played professional basketball, and though there's times where you watch Lonzo Ball and you're excited about everything that he does, like a guy like Alex Crusoe, who's had that 
that professional experience can kind of have games like that. Um, so yeah, I, there, there is something to be said for for guys that have gotten to play professional basketball and then come into a summer league situation where there's guys that just haven't got to play professional basketball, and that, that's going to be a pretty distinct advantage for them. Uh, Samuel asked, are the Bucks taking as hard of a look at Travis Trice as it seems? He likes to dribble the air out of the ball, so he fits with Bucks point guards. Good dig, um, but I don't that, think so. Like, is Delhi that bad? I don't. Delhi oh, handles it more than we want, but I don't think that, he dribbles the air out of the ball. I think that would be the big thing: is that people obviously kind of think like, "Oh, Delhi should never dribble. Um, just give the ball to Giannis just, and get out of the way." Just set picks. Just set picks. Correct. Um, but this is this should be our shortest answer. The answer is no. They are not looking at Travis Trice, or at least correct. I can't imagine they are correct. Um, I think. I believe those are all the the individual questions we have about summer league play. Um, we had one more general one uh, from Dan Hoppen who asked, what's the most encouraging thing you've seen from summer league and what has you a bit concerned? Um, I think most encouraging thing is, you know, probably I'd start with the rookies just because, again, the guys that I know the least about and the guys we haven't seen play NBA basketball, the fact that, you know, DJ Wilson is looking like he belongs and looking like he's, you know, going to stretch out to the three point line and that he can do different things and that he has, you know, a good sense, I think in terms of passing and, you know, has a good handle. I don't think he's going to be a dynamic scorer, but you know, I didn't expect that either. So, um, so yeah, I think like, you know, the positive things that we thought about Sterling Brown and, and DJ Wilson seeming to be real things, that's probably the biggest positive. And then I think as big as negative, I mean, just not seeing kind of like Thon, you know, really make a progression as far as showing that he could be you know more than just kind of the spot up slash garbage man type guy we saw already last season right I mean he looked pretty much like the guy we saw in the NBA except he was playing against worse players so um you know for better or worse we saw some better things from him in the last game blocking some shots but um you know it would have been nice obviously if Thon came out and just like dominated it somehow um but obviously at this point not in the cards yeah, I would say most encouraging thing. I think, I think as always with a Bucks, it seems recently with any Bucks first rounder, it's going to be a a bit of a reach or maybe someone that you weren't expecting. So um, I guess having some of those concerns quickly, I don't want to say answered or uh, sent away, but the fact that DJ Wilson has looked generally fine um and at times has looked good i think that's encouraging and probably the most encouraging thing i've seen in summer league and man i don't even know i struggle to really care all that much uh, about things in summer league um maybe i guess since i was as bullish as i was on koenig i guess the fact that he's looked uh as bad as he has and struggled as much as he has maybe that's where i'd be the most concerned but I don't generally get concerned over summer league happenings. That's just not, just not the way I'm wired. Um, so let's take a look at Justin Cape asks us minutes predictions over under for those that we are seeing play in summer league. Uh, thoughts on horse comments. I feel like you guys got this. Um, so thoughts on horse comments. <laughs> I joked before we got on the podcast that, Again, I, I'm not expecting a lot from a, a summer league in-game interview, but the fact that the Bucks paraded Kid, Brogdon, and Horst, 
not their most personable moments. Um, <laughs> those are three guys that don't really say a lot. Um, and especially Malcolm can be a really good quote, but when you're just kind of asking him to talk about himself, he he tends to demur a little bit and say, like, yeah, okay, hmm and not say a whole lot. So I don't really have thoughts on any of the in-game interviews. I actually, like I've had people tweet at me like, what'd you think about kids saying this or that? And nothing. I, I don't think anything of it. Like, there wasn't really any, any interesting content there. I know he said something about Jabari Parker probably being back in February. Um, and I know they've talked about how good Jabari looks and they've been saying that for a long time. Um, I just think back to, and after game six, the next morning, we got to talk to John Hammond and Hammond just gushed to every media member for like five minutes after his media availability, like literally walking from person to person and being like, man, look at how good Jabari looks out there. Like Jabari was literally just standing still shooting jumpers. Um, but he was like, look how good he looks. I swear he can play in a month or something like that. Like, he, he, like they've just been very excited about the progress Jabari has made. And that's totally fair. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't really have any comments on any of their comments during those games, but, uh, let's go to minutes predictions over under. Oh, I guess that means I have to drop these lines, huh? Um, let's go with, do I, do we need to do Thon or are we okay with not doing Thon? Uh, we can do Thon. Okay. Uh, let's go 22 and a half for Thon. Ooh, that's a good number. Um, I will go under. I think really. Um, I, I think um, not not much under, but I, I just think Monroe is still going to play. You know, I don't know what was Monroe. At? Was he at something similar last year? I mean, I, I just feel like Monroe will still play low to mid twenties, and Thon will probably have foul trouble and will probably tire out more. And I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's going to be a crunch time guy at this point, so um, or a consistent crunch time guy with with Greg around again. If Greg is traded, then that probably changes a lot. But mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, as long as Kid still has like 15 centers, he'll try to throw them random bones too. So I feel like Thon will will uh, will probably you know lose some minutes there. So I, I don't know. I feel like he's probably close to like 20 minutes. And to be honest, I don't know if that's really a bad thing, just because Thon at maximum energy is like the best Thon. So I also don't want him to have to sort of like, you know, pace himself to play 30 minutes or something like that at this point. I, I still like the idea of him just going all out. Um, and um, but hopefully, you know, again, not getting the second half, you know, the fourth quarter DMPs and things like that. Hopefully we do see him um, play a lot more crunch time, things like that. But I'll, I'll still take the under maybe somewhat controversially. I, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's not this season. Thon goes 9.9, which obviously included, includes some garbage time minutes. Um, but only appears in 57 games. And I guess maybe what I should have done is put the number we should be doing is maybe instead of minutes, it should be games played. Um, that might be a little bit more interesting, but I didn't, really think about this question all that much in advance so we're just going to keep going with minute predictions for all these guys Uh, let's go dj wilson uh give me 16 and a half how how many by the way and how many games played are you assuming when you say something like 16 and a half are you thinking he's gonna play in you know 60 to 70 games 50 okay um i'll take the under on that I, i mean i think the 
I don't know. I mean, if, if they were to, for instance, trade Mirza Toledovic, then I think a lot more minutes get opened up there. Um, but uh, I think it's just tough because I think he is mostly a four and Giannis is going to play mostly four from like a defensive lineup perspective. I mean, again, he can play with Giannis, but um, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably take the, the under. I think he's probably more, I don't know. 12 to 14, something like that. Yeah, I'm as I'm thinking about it, I wish I would have made that number a little bit lower. 13.5 is probably a better line, but yeah, I, I think under there makes a, a lot of sense just because the Bucks are, I mean, stacked at that four spot, and that's also why I was leaning more 50 games for Wilson because once Shabari Parker comes back, does that totally wipe out his minutes? Does that wipe out some of his minutes? Like, how, do, how does he fit into that rotation? Um, and if Mirza Toledovic isn't traded, like, does he continue to get some of those? Is, is, it, is it kind of a game again where it was last year Beasley and Mirza going every other game and getting the first chance to see if they can get hot? Uh, does that happen with DJ Wilson and Mirza Toledovic? I, I think it'll be interesting. Mirza Toledovic's role on this roster is is going to be very interesting to me uh, going forward because not that it sways a bunch of stuff, but he's just kind of, I mean, he's there. And we've talked about how we believe that he really does help out Giannis and helps out lineups, lineups that he's in. So let's see if they actually uh, can put that to good use. So that'll be interesting. Uh, Sterling Brown. Uh, Seven and a half. Yeah, I, I that this one's probably the toughest, just because there's there's the most competition probably for for that spot, and potentially if you know if they add anybody, it probably would be some somebody who could potentially take minutes from from guys like Sterling Brown and Rashad. But um, but yeah, I I don't think that's unreasonable to to say. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like if you say seven and a half, it's like. How often, if a guy's like has any role in a rotation, then he's probably going to play more than that. You know, he'll probably play, I don't know, get two stints of like five or six minutes at least. So, yep. um, so usually you're going to get, you know, double digits or something like that. So, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Should I, should I, should I make Sterling Brown becoming a random rotation guy? My, my, the hill I'll die on, I'll die on this year. Um, maybe, maybe just for the sake of not taking the under on all these, I'll say, I'll say over on Sterling Brown. Um, and that, you know, for, for stretches, I think he may, maybe he carves out a role as, um, you know, the, the a guy who's getting some, some rotation minutes as a backup two, three guy, which as we said, you know, with Beasley gone, um, you never know what kind of injuries we might see. Maybe that's a, a spot that, that Sterling Brown can make a claim on, you know, whoever makes them, you know, whoever can start to hit threes, the, you know, first and consistently do it between him and Vaughn, that that's obviously pretty important. I don't hate the over there, um, mainly because I started looking at Rashad's minutes last year, and he only plays in 41 games, but his minutes per game was 11.2. So even if... Even if Sterling would struggle for minutes, um, there might be some of those times where Kid just kind of gives gives him a chance and tries to see what he can do. And if you're going to do that, I don't think you can really do it in, like you said, short stints. Like you'd have to give probably two five to six minute uh, chances there uh, to try to find some flow. All right, let's move to Rashad. Um, let's keep that number. 11.2 is your over-under. Will, will he eclipse his minutes per game from last season? And well, bonus question 
41 games played, does he eclipse that? Those are your two numbers. Well, I already predicted he wasn't going to be on the roster, right, a, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So I guess I, I should say under because he's going to not going to be on the roster. But, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, again, it's like if the guy is around – I mean – if he can't figure it out, I mean, then then I don't think. I mean, again, I don't. I, I've obviously made the case for why I think he might not be back, even stick around for this this season. Um, if he's not, you know, if he's not able to carve out any meaningful minutes again for for a third straight year, then especially with with some of the other options you've got, um, I don't. I mean, again, I think he's he'll probably be gone mid season at that point if he's if he's not playing more more minutes than that. So. I don't know. I don't know if that's an under or an over, but um, it, you know, it's sort of an over, but then maybe an under on the games played. I think it'll just be gone. <laughs> if um, man, that's a tough one. I think I'm gonna take the over. Oh man, I, I don't really feel very good about it. Um, just because it's tough on both of those. Because one, you don't know if they are committed to bringing Jason Terry back. Who gets cut for that? Um, who? Does then does Jason Terry continue to kind of hold on to that same role and push Rashad Vaughn down even further because they also have Sterling Brown and they also have DJ Wilson and they've made more of a commitment to Tony Snell. I I, I don't know how it all ends up working out, but uh, it'll it'll be fun to watch. Um, I don't think I'm going to do any other minute predictions for anyone else. Um, I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I'm not going to get into Jalen Moore or Bronson Koenig. Um, You're or or, zero. or Travis Trice or in anyone else uh, that's playing for the Bucks Summer League team. So let's wrap this up with a couple of free agent questions. Um, Big Jarn asks us, do you see any kind of scenario that gets Rose, or in parentheses, or any other free agent at all to Milwaukee? And I'm going to start with this, Frank. Um, I think yesterday I tweeted something out with the little guy peeking out from behind a wall that says the Bucks don't have space for anyone. Um, and every time I tweet something like that, I get a million responses that are like, what? I thought they had this exception and that exception. And even if they do this, they have this exception. And like, I totally understand why you, why everyone would say that because you want to have that hope that the, your team can still sign someone in free agency. You still want to fawn over those prospects that are still out there guys that you want on the roster like i totally get it i just don't see it like i don't i don't see the bucks using any exceptions i don't see the bucks signing anyone else until they're 100 percent confident that they can move one of those other contracts like i i just don't see it i, I don't think there there's any way that they make one of those moves without knowing how they get under the luxury tax because uh, uh, with the with as difficult as it appears to be to move contracts, I, I just don't know how you'd feel confident going even further into the luxury tax without without the exact the exact path for how you're going to get back under it. I, I I just can't imagine them doing it. Yeah, and it's the you know on the one hand you've got all season to get back under the tax, so there's not like immediate pressure, but. As we're seeing from some of these deals, you know, to drop salary, to drop meaningful amounts of salary, teams are attaching, you know, assets, and mm-hmm. you know, the the market for that is is not trivial. And and I, I think if you know, for instance, if John Henson was a guy that could have been dealt for you know cap space, I think it would have happened. Like I don't, you know, and so I think we're already seeing that that's not something that you can just snap your fingers and, and get. 
Um, you know, maybe during the season injuries come, a team missing a big man says, oh, we actually could use John Henson or Mirza Toledovich or whatever, and maybe their opinion changes. But then, you know, do they even have cap space at that point to absorb him? That You know, there's going to be a lot fewer teams like that. Maybe there's some teams with trade exceptions, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how, the, how it kind of plays out. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and honestly, I'm, my, my new stance, honestly, especially with some of the names we've heard linked with the Bucks. I'm I I I would be happy if they don't actually make any moves cuz I think the potential for making a bad move is probably higher than the potential for making a good move. Um and I guess that doesn't sound like a real vote of confidence for anyone. But, um but I'm I'm totally good with just, you know, the uninspiring stretch Spencer Oz sign jet done. Um <laughs> just roll forward with with the guys that you have. Yeah. Um and and by the way, um, I, I should note I, I we've talked about this with him. I've talked about it with him on Twitter before, but um, let me just make sure I get his his uh, his name right. I think his his handle is um, True Golden Eagles or something. Um, he uh, yeah True Golden Eagles at Golden Eagles MU. Um, he's a he's a pod, he's he's a pod listener. He oh, he's told me he very much disagrees with with resigning Jet. I respect the idea of going for young guys. I'm just view it this way: like, first off, you'd be sacrificing Hawes for Jet effectively in this scenario. You, you still have Sterling Brown, you still have Rashad Vaughn, and I'm all for playing those young guys, provided they're like, you know, providing something. Like it just got last year with Vaughn; he was just so bad for long stretches that I was just like, man, I would rather have Jason Terry out there. And we complained a lot about Jason Terry playing too many minutes, so it's not like we're <laughs> arguing we want Jet to play. I mean, I did it to Jason Kidd's face, and he did not yeah. enjoy that. So yeah, yeah. So, so my view isn't so much like I want to sign Jason Terry because I want to play him a ton of minutes. Um, it's more just like having a, a veteran backstop. And again, I, I don't think you get as much from a guy like that as an assistant versus as a guy actually on the team playing an active role. And I mean, he's talked about that as well. It's different when you're a coach versus when you're a player in terms of the clout you have and things like that. So I mean, um, so I'm. As I say, I've gotten in arguments when people were worried about paying Jared Dudley too much. Like, I was in arguments that, because if you remember that Jared Dudley, you're like his back and everything was messed up, and at the end of the season he wasn't he wasn't really playing all that well. And I was to the point where I was like, I don't care if he plays again. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I just think having someone like that is incredibly value valuable to a basketball team. Like, and again, the that I don't want. I don't want the whole team to be veterans like that would not be a good idea. But if you have all those young guys and then you can have a veteran like a Dudley or I mean, even in Jets case, like you're going to pay him nothing like you're going to pay him the minimum that to me, that's great for a young team trying to figure out how to play the game. That's huge. Yeah. So my opinion remains the same. Do we have anything else left? We're we're running really long. It's, well, that's a given. But given. Um, mailbags are always long. <laughs> this is true. Uh, Shan G asks, "How would you guys feel if we, the Bucks, go into next season with the current roster without any free agent signings or trades?" I guess I already hinted at. It. I mean, I, I would be maybe surprisingly okay with it. Um, I mean, your roster is pretty balanced, right? It's not like there's some position where it's like, oh my god, we only have one point guard or um, you know, we have Andrew Bogut and no backup center as, as the Bucks have did in previous years before they completely overcorrected and now have all these centers. I mean, they have, you know, as I said, my reasoning part, my partner reasoning for, for stretching Spencer Hawes is they have 
you know, probably one too many centers as usual, um, or perhaps two, <laughs> two, too many rotation worthy centers given John Henson, I think is, you know, rotation worthy on a lot of teams, but, um, I, I honestly, you know, if the other option is doing a salary dump that involves trading an asset to sign some random dude for the love of God, hopefully not Derek Rose, um, I'll take do nothing or, or, you know, whatever, just roll with what you got, you know, 10 times out of 10 over, you know, bend over backwards to sign some random guy who no other team wants, which, you know, that would be just a, a, a you know, a page right out of the, uh, the old Kings playbook. Not, maybe not the new Kings playbook because Vlade seems to like at least be becoming somewhat sane this off season. But um, I'm just like having flashbacks to that, you know, swap, the, the pick swap trade with the Sixers where the Kings shut all the salary in order to sign. Who did they sign? Rajon Rondo and I don't know, one other person that like didn't matter. So let's not do that. I'm yeah, I'm actually pretty fine with it as well. Like, I, I don't think there's a move out there that, really helps out the team obviously if you can move one of those contracts for not a large asset and like if you can move one of those contracts for like a second rounder i'm pretty okay with that um but yeah i i think roll it back with this squad hope for some internal improvement from a number of players hope for a healthy chris making a difference and yeah, I, I think I think you're kind of looking at the roster for next year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things, right? It's like there's no, it's like you want to get better. We know this team has to get better. Yeah. they're going to have to figure out ways to add talent. But it's like th- there's no exploding deadline for this, right? There, there's yeah. if you don't have some crazy talent addition by the end of July, it's fine. Like. You know, it, it's still it's still I think about patience and um, you know again I just don't see nobody has nobody's been able to make an argument that I find compelling for this guy. You know, if you can dump this amount of salary and you can go sign this guy. You know, I mean, if the Bucks were in a position where they could make a move and then go sign, you know, KCP, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who surprisingly has had his, um, you know, everybody thought the Pistons would just match, uh, you know, anything up to a max offer instead they make some questionable decisions and hard cap themselves and have to renounce him. And now he's sort of just trying to find a deal. Um, you know, if you could get KCP for, I don't know, up to probably a little bit more than Tony Snell money, even, even with the log jam the bucks have, I might do that just on value, just for value purposes alone. And then, then you might actually be able to go out and shop Chris Middleton more aggressively, even if KCP isn't as good as Chris Middleton, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't know, like who else out there, who else out there, like really tangibly affects the Bucks' sort of long-term upside in terms of like you know the big picture of of what they're building. I, I just don't, I don't know. I just don't think there's like a guy out there, and I, I haven't been looking at like the you know the free agent rankings just because again, like it's just, it's just so hard to see a deal being made. But who who out there are you really like willing to actually give up an asset for to get? It's like maybe KCP, but. I just my general rule is like I'm not giving up a first round pick to do anything at this point based on what we see out there. Yeah, uh, especially with I mean we talk about it all the time with the way the Bucks cap looks going forward, and that's not even just like the bad contracts. Like just looking towards the future, looking towards when Giannis is up in 2021. Like there's probably a number of guys that have to get paid, and having cheap assets really helps out when you i mean you you're probably looking at a roster that you want to be top heavy in that you have 
three stars or two stars and two to three very legitimate starters and then a bunch of guys on the roster that don't make a bunch of money like that's kind of how nba rosters are built at this point so yeah moving first round picks to get a guy this summer not something i i'm really all that interested in so that's gonna be it for us for today thanks for everyone for helping out on the mailbag thanks for always having questions for us which i mean it's it's almost the middle of July at this point. I I don't even know how that's possible that we just always have questions. Like that's that's awesome that you guys always want to send stuff in and always have thoughts. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Uh, we also really appreciate SeatGeek for sponsoring this episode. Use the promo code L O N B A again. L O N B A for Lockdown NBA uh, is our new promo code at SeatGeek. So use that and get a twenty dollars rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. And that's going to be it. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later.